0: This is a podcast for Practical Neurology. I'm Phil Smith and uh, today I'm talking to Andrew Lees who is well known to neurologists uh, in the UK and around the world, outstanding clinical neurologist, highly distinguished in the field of Parkinson's disease but with broad interests outside neurology. And uh, in this month's Practical Neurology, he's joined forces with Peter Kempster from Australia. Uh, and has written on neurology and detective writing. So, Andrew, welcome. We're delighted to receive this paper. Thank you for agreeing to talk more about it. So um, how do you see the relationship between neurology and detective writing? Uh, Well, when I was training at Queen Square, William Goody, one
1: of my teachers, recommended when I started uh, as a registrar that I ought to read the complete works of Sherlock Holmes and uh, also actually Proust, A La Recherche Tom Perdu, and I wondered uh, really what planet I'd arrived on. In fact, I'd arrived, of course, on the planet of Queen Square, and I I was familiar with um, Sherlock Holmes. I'd read a lot of it uh, at school, but I hadn't really made a connection directly with um them. my my career choice speciality at that time. And it was only later, really, as I became a a fully-fledged neurologist that I realized what very good advice uh, both of those two recommendations were. It took me a lot longer to uh, get to Proust and and certainly a lot longer to finish it, but uh, I did eventually make that too. But uh, what what I realized uh, as time went on was that when we're searching for neurological clues to reach a diagnosis. We, we often empathize with detectives who are trying to uh, solve criminal cases. And um, there, there are a number of relationships between detective work and neurological practice. Um, for example, the, the common use of skills such as observation. I mean, neurologists need to, to have uh, very keen powers of observation and and neurology to a certain degree as a visual art Um, our identification of clues uh, which is really the elicitation of signs uh, and reasoning by abduction so that one's never a hundred percent certain we're never dealing in absolute certainties in our everyday practice and we have to uh, use skills of uh, deduction and, and abductive reasoning, as indeed do some of the uh, detectives, particularly Sherlock Holmes. And then neurologists uh, are also very fond of uh, using the detective story as a, a favorite narr- narrative vehicle for clinical histories and case reports. Uh, so in common with detective tales, uh, our case reports are often reassuring, affirming the belief that we can diagnose even very obscure neurological maladies with our our diagnostic acumen. So those were linkages and connections. Uh, I I thought back as I got better at neurology with with William Goody's recommendations. And um, Peter Kempster, who came to work with us uh, shortly after I'd been made a consultant uh, at UCH and Queen Square, Uh, was also already very interested in um, the links between uh, detective fiction, forensic science, uh, and neurology. And indeed, it's the other interesting thing is that many early neurologists... uh, were actually forensic scientists. So, for example, David Ferrier was a professor of medical legal medicine at King's. Uh, Henry Maudsley was uh, a forensic scientist at UCL. There was already uh, a connection from the very beginnings of the speciality between the emergence of forensic science and detective, detection in criminal work and uh, neurology. But it took us, it's taken us a long time to actually write this article, and we, 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 we decided to really focus on the fact that de- detective stories have been part of the fabric of neurology uh, ever since the time it's involved into a discrete medical speciality and, and focus particularly on a literary survey of neurological detective fiction to show how neurologists have turned their hand to creative writing and th- those who have, of how they've expressed this relationship. So we, we pick two eminent neurologist Peter Gautier Smith who was one of my teachers at Queen Square and Harold Clowns uh, best known for his work in movement disorders uh, from Rush Chicago both of whom have had a a literary career in addition to their work as neurologists and um, in in addition to uh, using them as examples as to how they employed their neurological training in their literary writing we we also, in the article, uh, investigated the power of the neurologist's alter ego, Sherlock Holmes, and his influences on neurological practice and its literary traditions.
0: Right. Okay. So uh, you, you actually describe neurologists in the article as uh, scrupulous, mildly obsessive introverts and thinkers rather than doers, I think. And uh, uh, maybe that's something that's changing. But um, do you feel that that is how neurologists are best made up, and do you feel that Sherlock Holmes himself would have made a good neurologist?
1: Conan Doyle modeled many of his characters on real-life people, and um, Sherlock Holmes was said to be modeled on Joseph Bell, who was the professor of surgery in Edinburgh. But to many of us, um, he has all those characteristics which you've just described as typical of neurologists, and of course many of the um, early neurologists, the 19th century neurologists, were misogynists, as indeed, of course, was Sherlock Holmes, so that uh, Gowers, for example, would not not allow any women in his teaching sessions at Queen Square. Um, So it seems to me that, although it's said that he's modelled on Joseph Bell, Conan Doyle certainly had connections with... um, Neurology. He, as listeners may know, he trained uh, as a physician. Um, he wrote his uh, thesis on uh, and he tabies, wrote his his thesis on tabes. And um, there is some evidence to suggest that he attended uh, some lectures at Queen Square. And in in the case of the resident patient, where he talked about uh, catalepsy, and uh, it seems clear that he had quite a lot of neurological uh, knowledge. For, for many of us, I think he, he is a kind of alter ego, but uh, of course there are other detective role models that, that one could also look at in, in neurology. For example, Lestrade, who was um, the police associate inspector that, that Sherlock Holmes often uh, referred to as... Um, uh, having a slavish adherence to protocols and algorithms. And which is what
0: you think that neurology is turning into, or the, modern the, physicians are turning the, into. There's
1: c- certainly some concerns about that. And then there, there's another model, wh- which is the private investigator Nero Wolfe, who was a, an armchair specialist, so that he ra- rarely left his office and u- used research such as the n- Internet to... Um, solved many of his crimes which again I think could be another kind of model for her. Or a bit like (laughs) House (laughs) Exactly, like like House. Never sees the patient Um, There are are great parallels really between the the emergence of the the speciality of um, uh, forensic science uh, uh, and neurology and of course it's said that a lot of the mystique of forensic science has now been taken away with DNA technology and so on so that the 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 great detectives uh, are fewer on the ground uh, than they were really
0: so you you set up the the brain bank i mean did you feel in in london i mean did you feel that this is uh, your sort of role as a forensic uh, detective was carried out in that way is there, is there any connection there do you think in your personal um role in neurology
1: for for neurodegenerative disease um neuropathology is still the uh, the gold standard or the final arbiter because we, we we find it impossible still even with uh... modern imaging and, and molecular pathological techniques to diagnose these conditions with absolute certainty in life so i, I suppose um, it's my way of uh, rationalizing the need for a a, a, a a final story you know a finish to the the detective story by getting the absolute answer at the end.
0: I remember one of the first talks I saw you give was uh, to do with Ray of Hope, was uh, Ray Kennedy's Parkinson's disease, which you wrote a book about. And uh, what, what was your role as a detective there? Did you, did you put your neurological detective powers to work with that one?
1: I think I mean, of course, neurologists have to be very good observers, and um, this is essential for a good detective, too. Um, But we also have to be um, very very good listeners and pay attention to detail in the clinical history. And um, studying um, an individual patient in as great depth as I was able to do with Ray certainly helps you to understand what it's like to live with a, a disease uh, much better than um, half an hour in outpatients.
0: And you look back at TV footage and you could see the first signs appearing.
1: Yeah, with with, with the help of BBC and ITV, we were able to look back uh, at the latter parts of his playing career when he was at Swansea after he'd left Liverpool and... Um, detect uh, abnormalities of his body posture. Of course, I was sensitized to it, so I I think we tried to do a a double-blind study by getting a group of medical students who didn't know who Ray Kennedy was, but to try and pick out... um, one individual on on, the, on on the pitch that seemed to be moving in a, a more unusual way, and several of them did actually pick out ray what what, what they and I noticed was that he he was holding his um, right arm in a very stiff and flexed way while he was running, and that he had some difficulties in in turning uh, of course now the use of video footage is commonplace, and it 's very helpful in uh, particularly in the field of Parkinson's disease. in, in, in if people, people bring home videos in, we, we can often date back to subtle abnormalities that they hadn't perhaps noticed were at the time but, but were in fact the very beginning of the disorder some some years before they were actually diagnosed. Uh, we often encourage people to bring uh, old video footage of themselves in. And you can see, the if you watch... Um, Michael J. Fox. You you can if you watch some of the early Spin City things, you can see signs of him having disturbances of his body movement before the diagnosis
0: was made. So we're we're going to be talking also to Peter Gautier Smith, who you met you mention in the uh, in the in the article. Do, do you feel that his role as a neurologist in, enhanced his ability as a detective writer, and and maybe vice versa?
1: I mean, Peter wrote his his last detective novel relatively recently. He's, he wrote thirty one under the pen name of Peter Conway, and um, the story of how he started writing fiction is very interesting because he was uh, one of his colleagues made a bet with him that it would be uh, more difficult to write uh, an article on uh, meningiomas than it would uh, write a novel and I think Peter took up this challenge and wrote this novel. Those of us who worked for him were were aware of his great interest latterly in, um, uh, I suppose, what would would now be called neurosexology. He was very interested in, um, particularly in uh, aberrant sexual behavior and epileptics. And although the content of many of his books is... Uh, reflects very polite middle class people from middle class backgrounds um, but but often the murders were motivated by uh, aberrant or idiosyncratic sexual impulses in many of the themes of it so so that that 's a recurrent theme in many of his writings, and that was certainly one of his uh, interests as a neurologist um, so so I suppose he was. I, I'm not sure which came first, but anyway, they they, they transferred into one another uh, the, the, those two things. Um, I, I think if you read his books, I mean, not just the the context and the narrative, but also you you can sense that he that that this is a clinician writing uh, in in many ways. Really, he's concerned really in many of his detective novels in the understanding and representation of. Human motivation—that's that's kind of one of the things that um, he's trying to solve in his writing. I think.
0: So the other neurologist uh, detective writer you mentioned is um, in, in the pieces. How Harold, Harold uh, Clowance? Can you tell us a bit about him, please?
1: Y- yes, Harold was a, a, a movement disorder specialist, a chairman at Rush in Chicago, and he—he he was a prolific neurologist, physician, writer who wrote novels and popular science books. Um, he usually adopted a, a detective role in his neurological case story publications and often referred to Sherlock Holmes as his uh, inspiration. Um, his first novel, Sins of Commission, which was uh, a crime mystery written in 1982, uh, had a neurologist as the detective. Probably the neurologist was, in fact, him, himself. In a, uh, a, And a murder occurred in the hospital, so he, he wrote it... Um, as a diversion. And it, wa- it wasn't revised for publication until several years uh, later.
0: So you, you mentioned as well, uh, Oliver Sacks, who, of course, uh, is perhaps the best known neurologist in the world, really, for his writings. Um, you know Oliver Sacks, I think. Can, can you tell us a, a bit about his role in detective work and uh, neurology?
1: Well, Oliver did, before Oliver moved to the States, he did do some of his training in, in London briefly at the, Middle, the Middlesex and also at Queen Square. Um, and already at that stage, he, he showed that he had particular interests in individual patients so that he would when he was doing ward rounds he would spend very very long periods of time with one patient and perhaps much less time with some of the others so so I think the die was already cast at a very early stage of how his literary career would would go and uh, he in contrast I think to Peter Gautier Smith and Harold Clowns he has a a broader heritage of, of medical literature and i think he the published clinical case history rather than just a detective um, uh, model would w- would fit better and and of course his success has been based to some degree on his ability to draw on these sort of latent literary literary properties uh, by writing books that that consist of anonymized neurological case histories so that that's really un- underpinned his his success in the in in the literary world in in forming a, a new genre really um, his histories do sort of reflect a sort of detective method in that uh he, he's a careful observer he, he questions gently and ser- and searches out clues uh, uh in the streets as, as well as in the homes of patients before we submitted the article to to you, we, we ran it through Oliver and he did say that she, he'd also read a lot of Sherlock Holmes and uh, uh, he, he was his detective model.
0: So do you think the analogy of neurology and detective writing still holds true now?
1: Yes, and, and I think bedside skills actually are just as important uh, as they were in the foundations of our speciality in the 19th century. Of course, a lot of the diagnostic mystique has been taken away with, particularly with neuroimaging. But, um, uh, you know, things like why do... Uh, people with Parkinson's disease have such a varied natural history Uh, and why is the course of the illness and the symptomatology so different when you look in the brain and find exactly the same abnormalities. I mean, these are surely things that um, careful clinical history taking and and examination are going to help us solve eventually. I mean, uh, so the idea that you can... Do the whole of neurology with ticking boxes and algorithms um, s- seems to me far too simple uh, i if anything I see us uh, and of course this wouldn 't be ev- everybody 's view but I, I see us moving more in in a way towards psychiatry and that we will be um, individualizing our approach to illness uh, and uh, that that means that although the history taking is not the same, exactly the same as it was a hundred years ago. And certainly the examination is, is uh, has changed a lot in neurology. I mean, a lot of the things that we used to do are no longer needed, quite, quite honestly. I mean, I think we, we could all probably accept that. But, but I still think that um, the only way to learn neurology and become a good neurologist is to spend time uh, on the wards, listen, talking to patients, taking careful histories, uh, recording what you you see, um.
0: and it, and it remains a very clinical specialty, even with all the the finest imaging we have, and particularly movement disorders, as well as blackouts, are are, are still very much dependent on the history. and and the examination findings. Yeah,
1: and that's that's still what attracts many young people to to neurology, the fact that it is a a clinical speciality. My worry is, uh, and this has, of course, reached an extreme situation in the United States, many many, uh, senior neurologists no longer see patients, and I, I can't see that that can be good.
0: So w- one of the other pieces in this month's Practical Neurology is to do with book club, and we're trying to encourage uh, neurologists to get together to um, discuss a book. I wonder if you've got any suggestions for a neurology book club.
1: A La Recherche du Temps perdu by Proust. Is that in English? If, yes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> okay. yes. In Search of Lost Time. It's, uh, for anybody interested in higher cerebral function, it's a, it's a fantastic book. But it'll take... Uh, the whole of the period of neurological training for somebody to read it and They'll have to be quick readers.
0: I think on hearing about the adult content of Peter Conway's book, they might prefer that first, actually. <laughs> so, <laughs> and uh, and a film, because actually we are going to hear from the Mayo Clinic, who have a book and film club for their residents, and um, they each, every two months, select a film to discuss. Have you got any thoughts on a, a film that we could be
1: Awakenings? Discussing? Uh, I think it's a great film. Um, I I had a very peripheral involvement in in its making in that um, all the cases that Oliver Sacks wrote about with encephalitis lethargica in New York had died by the time the movie was being set up. So they, Oliver remembered that there was... um, a colony of post encephalytics in London at, at a place called Highlands Hospital in winchmore hill and fortunately, there were about twenty still alive when they made the film, which was probably in the late 80s now, something like that. And so Robin Williams and um, Robert De Niro came over with Oliver and I took them uh, up to Highlands Hospital to, uh, with Gerald Stern, actually, both of us, so that um, Robert De Niro could learn how to be a post encephalitic Parkinsonian. It really impressed me how quickly he was able to... Uh, uh, copy and imitate. I mean, of course, as neurologists, we all do that in our yeah. clinic. But he—he he was spectacularly good in uh, I- imitating it. I'd recommend that. Awakenings.
0: Great, yeah. thank you. Uh, any final words you wanted to say? Anything else that uh, to do with neurology and detective writing that you want to that we've not covered?
1: Oh, I, I, I'd encourage trainee neurologists to read detective stories, I I think they reflect back to us some of the images of our best selves exercising our craft. um, uh, To seem to possess the powers of Sherlock Holmes and to seek out clues and make deductions can engender the strongest feelings of professional satisfaction, so uh, I, I would encourage the reading of detective stories.
0: Thank you very much indeed, Andrew Lees. And uh, there is a full version of the paper on the website, so uh, uh, we can feast our ourselves uh, on that longer version. So thank you very much indeed, Sir Andrew Lees.